0: Good morning, great to have you all here and well back in 1992 a group by the name of DC Talk uh, they came out of Liberty University uh, came out with a song called Love is a Verb I thought about playing that this morning but uh, we didn't provide earplugs to begin with so I thought maybe we better not do that but one of the, one of the uh, parts of the song, back in the day there was a man who stepped out of heaven and he walked the land. He delivered to the people an eternal choice with a heart full of love and the truth in his voice. Gave up his life so that we may live. How much more love could the Son of God give? And then I have the last two lines here here is the example that we ought to be matching because love is a word that requires some action scott two weeks ago preached on first corinthians 13 the first seven verses talked about love and love is a verb although in the text more often than not there was love was a noun right because of all the love is this, love is that, love should not be this, love should not be that. But but it was treating love as a noun. In our text, as we look today, uh, we're gonna see that it's important that we make in our lives love to become a verb. It's real easy to get caught up in knowing what love is and saying we love somebody And just repeating those words without actually following through and showing that love. But the fact of the matter is, love is a verb and needs to be shown, needs to be practiced, needs to be exercised in our lives as believers today. So please open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and um, we're going to look at verses 8 through 13 now Scott dealt with uh, verses 1 to 7 and I just want to review since that was two weeks ago and uh, verse 1 of chapter 13 this is what Paul says if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, it's important that we get love in our heads. Because the text we're going to look at is one of those controversial, difficult texts to understand. Uh, three weeks ago, when we dove into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and, and began to look at the, the idea of some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that uh, some believe are not with us anymore, they have ceased to be function, and others, who say, oh no, all of those gifts are there for all of us to use all of the time, and we get the controversy, we get the conflict, we get the difficulty of understanding, okay, what does the Bible mean? What about tongues? What about healing? What about miracles? Do we still practice those today as individuals as part of God's plan for the church in 2021? And so Paul started in chapter 12 in verse 1, and he said, now about the gifts of the Spirit, uh, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. He wants us to be aware of this whole business of spiritual gifts. And so that's why he's writing chapters 12, 13, and 14. Now we get into chapter 13, and you may have thought, as God Scott preached about love, because that's what's in the text, that what in the world's Paul doing? Did he, did he forget where he had started and, and take a, a side path somewhere? No, it's all part of his whole teaching on spiritual gifts about the need to be informed. And so that's where we are. And so 1 Corinthians 13 is part of the informing the church. And so I want that to be true for you and I here today as we look at that. So look at verse 8, and I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 8. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. This is another one of those difficult and controversial passages. However, I think the most difficult task for me today is not to get caught up in the controversy. And miss the point of what Paul is saying in the last half of 1 Corinthians 13, what we call the love chapter. So I have an outline for you, verses 8 through 13. And the outline is this, verse 8a, that love is permanent. We'll see that. It won't take us long to, to, to mention that, but that's what Paul says. Secondly, uh, some gifts are temporary, verses 8 through 12. And then love is the greatest. Now we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, yes, but in the context of what Paul's saying, he's emphasizing love. And so as we look at that, uh, it's important that we understand that chapter 13 is about love. It's not a chapter to read at weddings, although that can be done because it describes love. And those characteristics of love ought to be true of a husband and wife who are deciding to spend the rest of their lives together. That's critical. But that's not why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13. All kinds of songs have been written out of 1 Corinthians 13, again, about love. But that's not the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is it's about living a life of love in the exercise of our spiritual gifts. The God-given abilities to serve that he has given each of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior. Every one of us, we've talked about this. Back in chapter 12, every one of you and I here today who know Jesus Christ, who would say, I am a follower of Jesus, I am a believer, I know that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Every one of you in that status before God, a child of God, has at least one spiritual gift, one special God-given ability to serve. That's right. That means that everybody here who knows Jesus ought to be serving, right? And I know many of you are. Many of you are probably serving in too many ways. You're exhausted. You're you're just you're worn out. You feel like you're spread so thin, you don't have You're not always giving your best because you're serving, you're doing too much. Well, we have to get all involved exercising the gifts that you've been given so that that doesn't happen, so that we don't overburden others or have others that aren't involved at all. That's the text, and that's as we talk about that. It's important for us to understand, so let's dive in. Love is permanent, verse 8, love never fails, there it is. Love never fails. Love never falls would be another way to describe that. Love will not fall into decay. Love will never be abolished. It's like what Jesus said himself in Luke chapter 16 and verse 17. He said in a couple of other places, Matthew uh, as well, but where he said this, that it is easier for heaven and earth to disappear then for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law, out of scripture, for the least stroke of the pen to fail or to go away. He said, God's word will never disappear. God's word will not go away. And it's the same words that are used, the idea, love will never cease to exist. It will never end. It, not even at any time, that's the permanence of love. You might say, well, so what? I'm not going to last forever, right? And and those of you that are over 65, you all know that you're not going to last forever, right? Scott thinks he'd like to be over 65. John, you're right. <laughs> it would be great to be 65 again, right? So there you have it. And, and as we talk about this, That being the case, though, love is permanent. Love never fails. What does that mean for you and I? What does that mean for you and I who not only know that God is love, but who know Him, who know the God of love? What does that mean for us? Well, it means that our lives are to reflect God's love in everything we do. Our lives as those who know that God of love need to reflect, need to show, need to demonstrate. That's a verb, demonstrate God's love in all we do to everyone we encounter with an emphasis on other believers. You know, the Bible says more about loving others who know Jesus than than the Bible says about loving those who don't know Jesus. Just check it out. More said about the need to love other believers. We'll talk about that more. But the emphasis, especially here in verses 12, chapters 12, 13, and 14 as it relates to the spiritual gifts and in chapter 13 about love. Is that when we are exercising our spiritual gifts, when we are using those God given abilities, when we are serving God, we are using love. We are loving one another. That's exactly what it is. When you serve God, you're demonstrating love. Love is a verb in your life. When you serve, that's love. It's loving God, but it's loving those you're serving. You're serving because you love God and because you love those who you are serving. That's what we're talking about. And of course, in uh, the context, well, in the book of 1 Corinthians, we've seen we spent the first four chapters because it's there, talking about unity within the church. Love was a problem in the church of Corinth. You know that because Paul had to spend four chapters, 25% of his letter to the church in Corinth, about unity. And he talked about it in other ways as well. And it's not just unity, but when we look at the other issues that were going on, love was a problem in the church. And that's why Paul is dealing with it as it relates to the spiritual gifts because you can have all the gifts in the world, you can be the greatest, this, that, or the other thing for God. But if you don't have love, you're just a clanging symbol. It was funny. I was I was watching the message as Scott preached two weeks ago, and right over here he had a symbol, the clanging symbol that Paul talked about. If I have all the gifts in the world but don't have love, I'm nothing more. And, and I assumed he hit that because it was blacked out on the... I mean, you couldn't hear anything. <laughs> I guess that was intentional or maybe it was just a glitch. But, but I, didn't, I was looking forward to hearing that cymbal clanging and gonging, but it's probably a good thing we didn't, right? Because we don't want to hear that. But that's how we are if we're trying to serve God but not loving those with whom we're serving. You see, it is love. That will conquer division. That's why Paul's talking to the church that way. Now, we'll get to that more in a bit as we wrap things up, but love is permanent. Secondly, some gifts are temporary. And in verses 8 through 12, in contrast to the permanency of love, some of the spiritual gifts that we've been talking about, that Paul has been talking about, will cease, will disappear. Now, that's not a question because Paul says it. But that begins part of the controversial, part of the area of disagreement and uh, difficulty. And verse 8, here it is. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, that's a spiritual gift, the gift of prophecy. Go back to chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, and look, you'll see it mentioned. They will cease. Where there are tongues... They will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Paul indicates that prophecies and knowledge, which are revelational gifts, God used the gift of prophecy and the gift of knowledge to reveal his truth to individuals. That's how we have the word of God as we have it. That's what we know, and where there are those prophecies and knowledge, they will cease. Now, those two words, they will be done away with, prophecies and knowledge, put out of action, and, and the, it's the same word that Paul uses when he says, even though in the NIV and different translations, they use some of the different words, but it says prophecies will cease, knowledge will pass away. It's the same word. And the word means that that something whatever, uh, when, when something acts on tongues, when something happens outside of, of, excuse me, prophecy and knowledge, they will cease. Now, of course, the issue is we don't know the timing. It's not whether or not they will cease. They will. Paul says that. They will stop. Something will act on. Prophecy and knowledge and those two gifts will cease. Tongues, which is a sign gift, one of the miraculous gifts that that we have in Scripture. It says tongues will be stilled. Tongues will automatically cease by themselves under their own power. Nothing will act upon tongues to do away with it. As in prophecy or knowledge, something outside of that gift will happen that will cause prophecy and knowledge to cease, to go away. But for tongues, it will just fade away by itself without anything having to happen. It won't be used anymore. It won't be necessary anymore. The purpose for which God gave tongues won't be necessary. Now, we're not going to deal with that today. Because chapter 14 is all about that. So, next week, we're going to jump into chapter 14 and we're going to see what's involved here as Paul talks about prophecy and he talks about tongues and, and their use and what's the deal and what are they for and, and wh- why do we have them. Tongues was a sign gift, it was one of the signs and wonders, the miraculous abilities that God had given. God's people to use and the sign gifts serve its purpose here tongues and it ceased after it fulfilled that purpose tongues and other miraculous gifts are not indispensable no gift is but in light of the fact that Paul says it will go away all by itself then it's not indispensable it's not always needed there was a point in time when that gift was, some would say it's still needed today, and we'll get to that next week as we look at that. But as we talk about that, tongues are not indispensable to the Christian life. Some would teach if you don't speak in tongues, you're not spiritually mature. It's not true. Whenever that gift ceases... When that happens, if tongues were necessary to become spiritually mature, we'd have a whole lot of people who weren't, who wouldn't be, because that gift would be gone, no longer available to them. Neither are tongues the goal of our walk with God. But again, there are those who say some would believe that tongues are necessary. That's the golden life. If you never speak in tongues, something's missing in your life. You obviously aren't filled with the Spirit. You're not walking with God, and that's absolutely not what Paul is teaching here. They don't equate. Tongue speaking does not equate with spiritual maturity. Otherwise, only some could be spiritually mature. You say, what? Well, because we know that not every individual has the same gift. Not every individual, not every believer has the gift of tongues. You see, the Holy Spirit of God distributes the gifts. We saw that back in chapter 12 and verse 7. He gives the gifts to individual believers as he chooses, not as we want. So not everybody can have the gift of tongues because We're told in scripture, not everybody has the same gift. So it's important that we understand tongue speaking does not equate to Christian maturity. Not every believer has every gift. Therefore, not every believer will have the gift of tongues. And that goes against the grain of those who many times teach that that tongues is still necessary. Now, I'm not saying to you today that it is is or isn't. We're gonna deal with that as we get into chapter 14 next week. But it's critical that we understand what Paul is saying about this and what he's not saying about this. Look at verse nine. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Now notice right up front, Paul had talked about in verse 8, prophecies, tongues, and knowledge. Three gifts of the Spirit. Now in verse 9, he says, for we know in part. That's the gift of knowledge. And we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. There's no mention there of tongues. Why? Because Paul has already said that will disappear on its own. Without anything acting upon tongues, it will just cease to exist because it will have already fulfilled its purpose. Again, we're not looking at the timeline at this point. So notice, no reference to tongues, knowledge and prophecy. When completeness comes, the part disappears. So as you're looking at that, those two verses... You've you've got to be asking yourself questions. You've got to say, what does this mean? What is Paul saying in verse 9 and 10? What what does he mean here? What is the part? For we know in part. We prophesy in part. What is in part when it disappears? What is part? And then we've got to look at, okay, so what is completeness? But when completeness comes, well, what does that mean? When completeness comes, the part disappears. And then, not only what is the completeness, but when does that completeness come? Now, some of your translations may have the word perfect. That's really not the best word to use in the text. The better words are complete or mature, not perfect. And, And the idea of the word means wholeness, complete. And as we look at that, the idea, some of the different, well, what do what the, what the people believe that these two verses mean as it relates to the use or the continuing of the use of the miraculous gifts? We talked about continuationism a couple of weeks ago. We talked about cessationism. Cessation means that some of the spiritual gifts have stopped. And continuationism means that all of the gifts have continued on. Which is which? And what do we believe these verses teach? Well, there are a number of different positions, probably six or seven at least, but there are three main ones. And some would say the completeness is when the revelation of the New Testament is finished. We call it the the canon of Scripture, the completed Word of God. And, and when that which is complete, some believe that that means when the Bible was finished, about A.D. 100, then those gifts would cease. Others would say, no, that's not true. It's the coming of Jesus at the rapture. And that would fit more in line with, with as we'll see down in verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Then when? When Jesus comes again, and we see him face to face. So some would say that's when the completeness comes. Others would say it's the maturing of the church and the body of Christ, the corporate body, not we as individuals, but the church as a whole, and that when the church grows and matures, and what you have to understand, Paul, if you'll compare what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 about maturity and about growth and about the completion or maturing of the body. We also can see that same thing in the book of Ephesians. In fact Paul talks about the spiritual gifts. Remember we said they're found in four different places in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. Ephesians 4, First uh, Peter 4. And, and those are the four places in the New Testament where spiritual gifts are talked about. Well in Ephesians 4... Paul wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. He wrote it before he wrote the, the letter to the church in Ephesus. So, 1 Corinthians, he wrote later on, he wrote Ephesians. But in Ephesians, he talks about the body, like Paul's been talking about in chapter 12, the same body that he's talking about. And he talks about how that body in Ephesians 4 needs to grow and mature in love. Speak the truth. In love You know sometimes you ever heard somebody say Well I don't want to really say the truth Because somebody would get upset But Paul says Speak the truth In love Does that ring a bell That's where we are here in chapter 13 Love is a verb What we do, whether we're speaking, whether we're acting, whatever it is we're doing, we exercise love. That's what Paul is talking about here. So whether it's the completion of the the New Testament, the Bible in Revelation, about A.D. 95 is when the Apostle John finished writing, would have been the last author of Scripture as we know it. Uh, or whether it's the return of Jesus Christ at the rapture, whether it's the maturing of the church, the body of Christ, I've come to recognize as I studied through this, probably all three are actually involved in different ways in, in answering that question about the gifts of the Spirit. We'll get more to that next week. But understand this, and hear me, folks, as we talk about this. Paul did not set a date for the ending of sign or miraculous gifts. He didn't set a date. Now, a lot of people will dive in here and say, oh, he absolutely did. It's, It's when the New Testament was completed. The Bible was done. But it doesn't say that. Scripture doesn't say, and that's why some of the greatest theological minds that we could find all take different positions on these gifts of the Spirit and on when or whether or how these gifts cease. If tongue ceases by itself, when did that happen? Paul doesn't tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's not why 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is in your Bible. Paul didn't set a date, but he did notice, and he would talk about The diminishing of the frequency of the use of tongues In fact, if you could study through church history You'd see that Just read through the 30 years of the book of Acts Luke, Paul's buddy Paul's travel companion Dr. Luke Who wrote the book of Luke The gospel of Luke as we would call it Matthew, Mark, Luke, John And then what? Acts, the book of Acts, right? Should we repeat the New Testament books of the Bible together? Maybe we should start with Genesis. No, we won't do that. But Luke wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. Acts is a history of the New Testament church as it began. In chapter 1, we saw that it started On the day of Pentecost, and Luke wrote about that. Luke tells us in chapter 1 that it was his desire to make known in a detailed way what was going on. And he takes, he writes about 30 years of history in the book of Acts. Well, as you follow through those 30 years, you see less and less and less and less of the miraculous. Less and less of the use of the gift of tongues less and less healing. And again, we would say it doesn't mean that God doesn't heal, but has God still given an individual the ability to heal people? And understand in the Bible when somebody healed somebody when the gift of healing was was given to individual believers at that point, when when they healed somebody, they had 100% effectiveness. There was never a mistake. There was never a, oh, hmm, that didn't work. There was never, oh, I healed the wrong part, or I tried and missed, or what, no, it wasn't like that. Just like Jesus. The gift always worked 100% of the time. That's how it worked, and we need to understand, well, that stuff faded out. In fact, beyond 1 Corinthians, as you move down the timeline, Paul talks a little bit about Ephesians, but beyond that, you, you just don't read about it in any other of the letters in the New Testament. It's just not there. You just don't even see it in church history. Not until the early 1900s do, do the activity of the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit pick up again, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that at another time. But it's important that we understand the point of this chapter is not to determine when some of the spiritual gifts cease to exist because they were temporary gifts. He already said that. The point of the chapter is that love is forever. It is permanent and we must not lose sight of that. So what is the part? Well, after studying, I, I've, I've come to understand it maybe a little differently than I have in the past, but I think it's the partial revelation or knowledge of God. Now, nobody would argue with that. The partial revelation or knowledge of God. The completeness would be the total, the uh, complete revelation or knowledge of God. Except, what I want to say to you is when the complete revelation or knowledge of God comes... The partial revelation or knowledge of God which came through the revelational spiritual gifts. Prophecy, tongues, although tongues was more of a miraculous gift. um, Knowledge. When those revelational gifts that God used to give us the Bible that we have today, when the partial was done, the complete was there. When the complete came, the partial went away. Now... Here's what I think, though, differently. Studied a book that uh, Dr. Reynolds Showers um, wrote a book on spiritual gifts. Uh, Dr. Showers was an amazing theologian and really dug into this whole thing. And this is his quote. He says, The partial is the revelation or knowledge of God which is now contained in the Scriptures. Let me come back to that. But the key word now contained in the Scriptures. And the perfect or the complete or the mature is the total complete revelation or knowledge of God which will come to the believer in the future when he, the believer, is face to face with the Lord. Now, you see, the difference in some of these positions is people will say, when that which is mature or complete comes, that when the completeness happens, when is it? Well, if it's the completion of the New Testament Scriptures, that's already happened. And so the partial was before that. The partial was before we had the whole Bible as we have it today. And yet Dr. Showers is saying what he believes Is that the partial is the completed scripture we have today Which is not the whole truth There is more truth to come We won't know that yet until we see Jesus face to face Does that make sense to you? Maybe You're like, my head's spinning What? Well that's the difference The partial is the revelation or knowledge of God which is contained that we have now? You see, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter said, We have all that we need. We have been given all we need for life and godliness. We have everything we need in the completed scripture. But is there more truth that we don't know yet? I believe so The kind of thing that we're not going to know Till the rapture comes Until we see Jesus face to face We don't need to know that now We know what God has told us in the Bible We have all that we need to know For life and godliness in the word of God But that's not all the truth there is There is more to it John even said If I was to write everything that I saw or heard when I was with Jesus and learned, uh, no, the books couldn't c- hold it all. There's more truth to come. And I think the partial is what we have here. Now, we're going to have to, you're going to have to join us again next week to get the rest of that one. Say, so you're tricking us. Well, maybe. But that's the way Paul wrote it, Right. So it's important that we understand the perfect is the total, complete revelation or knowledge of God which will come when we see Jesus face to face. I'd never thought about it like that before. I'd never studied it like that. And as I began to dig into that, and we'll talk more about some of the emphasis on that next week as we do, but it's important that we understand Uh, As it relates to this, first of all, even at that, Paul did not write chapter 13 to tell us when the gift of tongues or prophecy or knowledge would would end. He wrote it to compare the permanence of love with the temporary gifts of the Spirit. Because some felt we can't live without those gifts And if you don't have those Especially those miraculous gifts You can't be spiritually mature You can't be all the Christian you ought to be You're you're just missing the power and the fullness Of the spirit of God in your life And that's just not true So there's two illustrations then that Paul gives In verses 11 and 12 to illustrations of what it means to put away the partial when we have the complete. And, and as illustrations, we can't read more into those illustrations than what Paul intends for us. He's illustrating the point of permanence versus temporary. And so as we look at that, verse 11, Paul says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me talking, thinking, reasoning as a child as opposed to acting as a mature adult that's illustrating what it means to put away that partial revelation or knowledge of God when we get the complete or when the complete comes. Some would say, well, see, that means that speaking in tongues and other miraculous gifts were childish, immature things. That's not what Paul's saying. Because there was absolutely a gift of tongues, a gift of prophecy, a gift of knowledge, a gift of healing and all those miraculous gifts and God used them in the church. We see that. So it wasn't just an immature spiritual gift. It wasn't something that was uh, just only for immature Christians to use, no. Fulfilled a purpose in the early days of the church. It was necessary to the building of the church as Paul talked about it. And as Luke described it for us in Acts. Tongues are signed gifts are not a sign of immaturity. Sometimes we say that today. Well, people, they're all hung up in speaking in tongues and, and wanting to do all these miraculous things. They're just so immature, spiritually speaking. That's not what Paul is saying here. They were appropriate for a specific time in the history of the church. We'll talk more about that time next week. And it's critical that we understand. You see, the illustration is it's okay to be a child when you're a child, right? But if you're 65 years old and you're still acting like a child, there's a problem somewhere because you should be acting more like a mature adult, right? We all know what that's like. Some of you have kids or grandkids. It's been a long time since our kids were little, but we got grandkids. Man, childishness is on display, right? All eight of them. And, and, and that's what happens. They, act, But there are times when we don't let Chael, who's 13, want to act like, let's see, Arrow, who's five months, six months, seven months. Whew. Right? If Chael is acting like Arrow, we're saying, whoa, Chael, what in the world? You're 13 years old. You see, there's a gradual growth and progression. But somewhere along the way, Chael's going to put aside that childlike behavior and be an adult. And Paul is saying somewhere along the way, we no longer need the partial knowledge. Well, we in that quote, but we will get the full thing when we see Jesus. He's talking about comparison there. Then he says in verse 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am known. Reflection of a mirror as opposed to seeing face to face. Again partial versus complete. When we see Jesus face to face. And when will that be? in the future when the rapture comes you might want to check out i think i have on scripture here a couple of verses uh james chapter 1 verses 22 to 25 and uh, 2nd corinthians i have that for you steve um and 2nd corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 here there they are check out those scriptures because you'll find that paul talks about the mirror the truth of the mirror and scriptures are using the mirror as an analogy Paul uses the writers use it here as, a, as an analogy for, for looking in a mirror as the truth of the word of God James talks about it when he talks about hearing and doing and then Paul talks about it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 check that out because it might help you a little bit as you seek to understand the analogy of looking in the mirror and looking into the Bible alright We'll talk more about that, the partial and the complete, as we get to that next week. So, verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Again, Paul is contrasting the temporariness of the three spiritual gifts, prophecy, tongues, knowledge, with... These three characteristics, faith, hope, and love. But he says the greatest of these is love. We don't know why he says the greatest of these is love. We, well, we do because we can understand that. Why did he use faith and hope? Are they going to go away? Some would say, well, when Jesus comes, our faith will be realized. We won't not. Well, that's not what we read in the scripture here necessarily. But as we talk about faith, hope, and love Faith is the basis of what we believe And upon which we stand Without faith it's impossible to please God We don't know what to believe So faith is the basis of what we believe It's the the foundation on which we stand Hope is looking forward to what we know God has promised and will do We live in a hopeless society, folks That's why fear has so gripped our nation Our world, people are so full of fear because they have no hope. Hope says we know God is going to do what he said he would do. And we know the source of hope. It's Jesus. And we ought to be telling the hope, the gospel of Christ, giving it, which means we as believers ought not to be living in fear Oh man, I I am not interested in going down the COVID road this morning. But talk about a cause of fear in the lives of believers like I haven't seen in my many years in the local church. And it's almost like we've forgotten that God's in charge. And we live in fear of this disease. Oh, I know it can kill but so can sin, and so will sin for those who don't receive the gospel. And then, of course, love. Love is the greatest because it is who God is and what we need to pursue in all that we do. Love never fails. God is love, and when we come to know God by faith in Jesus Christ alone, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross alone, By grace alone, we are forgiven and we experience the love, the unconditional love of God in our hearts and it changes who we are and how we live. So what? What now? What now as we wrap it up? In light of what you just heard this morning, what do you need to do? We've talked about the ending of gifts and so forth. I said that's not the point, so focus on love. Love. In light of what you've heard about love this morning, what do you need to do in your life? And I'll say it's one thing. We must love. We must demonstrate love to one another. 1 Corinthians 13 is a call to followers of Jesus to make love their way of life. Is that true of you today? Is love a noun or is it a verb? When we say to our spouses, for those of you to the married, I love you, what, what does that mean? It's a verb. How do we show that? When we say to our kids, I love you, what does that mean? How do we love them? When, when our kids say to their parents, I love you. When we tell our friends, I love you. When we say to brothers and sisters in Christ, I love you, what does that mean? It's a verb. It means we show all of the God power in our lives. We live it out and show it to people. That's what we're talking about. The bottom line, the Corinthian church's problem was a lack of love. Paul says, if I have all these gifts and abilities but don't have love, I'm nothing. The church in Corinth was not living holy lives. They were not. That's what we've said all along. Chapter 1, verse 2. I think I had that on the screen. First Corinthians, yes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, to those set apart, to those who God has declared to be holy, who those in Christ Jesus, and he said, and called to be his holy people. Those who were already declared to be holy, he says, you need to live holy. That's what he's talking about. Therefore, you get what we've said is our theme. The theme statement. I hope you've written that down somewhere and have it. God's holy people must become what they already are. Once you're saved, you need to live like it. You are declared holy. Now live a holy life. And what does that involve? That means that we love. Love is a verb. John 13, 34, and 35 A new command, Jesus says this, a new command, I give you, love one another. Jesus is talking about loving believers. He's not talking here about loving people who don't know Jesus. He's talking about other believers. He says, a new command, love one another, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He says it again, verse 35. By this, the way we love one another, will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By that, by that love, by showing, by using love as a verb, When we love others, people will know that we are the disciples, the followers of Jesus. That's how they will know. Not because they see you back out of your driveway and go to church on Sunday morning. Not because you're a nice guy, not because you're a a wonderful woman, but because we love other believers. That's how Jesus says, the world will know you're a follower of Jesus by the way we love one another. By the way we exercise our spiritual gifts, by the way we serve others. Can I just say thank you? We sent out Friday afternoon... An email or was it yesterday yesterday we sent out a special email to those of you on our email list that said hey we were short helpers for the second hour of our heritage kids ministry our children's ministry and uh, if we we need some help otherwise we won't be able to have the second hour this Sunday or next boom Stephanie call says we're we're good I mean I don't even have minutes Seven people, hey, I'll help. And she'd already spent days calling. <laughs> it's like, wow, thank you for those, they're probably, well, maybe you're in here, but thank you for responding. Why? Because that's love. You love God. You love your, our people. You love one another. You love our kids. You love their parents. You love God. That's what we're talking about. By this will all men know, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. God's holy people must become what they already are. So what do we do? We love. We love. That's it. That's what Paul's saying to the church at Corinth. You guys are messed up, and until you start loving one another, until you understand that God is loving, until you understand that love is a verb and what it involves, we're not going to get this thing straightened out. That's what Paul was saying to the Corinthians, and that's what he's saying to us. Love one another. God, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that you showed your love for us in sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. So that our sin could be forgiven. So that we could enter into that love relationship with you, the almighty God, the creator of this world. Father, thank you for Jesus and the forgiveness of sin that's made possible. Us experiencing your love in a practical way. Oh God, help us to show that love. To live it out especially to those who know Jesus, as we use the abilities that you've given us to serve one another in your body, the church. And if there's any here today who don't know Jesus, who don't know, who've never experienced that love, oh God, I pray that they may not leave this building without trusting Christ as Savior, without coming to the point where they receive the love of God through the person of Jesus Christ who died on the cross, shed his blood to pay for our sin and forgive us so that we can experience to the fullest the love of God. Oh God, help this place, your church at Heritage, to be a demonstration of the love of God. To your people, for it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.